welcome back to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine here. I'm the host of the show. And today I have a guest on the podcast. It's Jamie Norwood. She's the co-founder of Sticks. And basically what they do is they are a direct-to-consumer company. They kicked off in 2019. And her and her co-founder, Cynthia, basically started off with pregnancy tests. And then they moved into ovulation tests, UTI tests, and then a bunch of feminine health products like Think all of the stuff that a lot of people probably aren't super comfortable walking into a CVS and just buying. There's a really funny story about how they came up with the business idea, which like we will say that straight up um, in the first few minutes of the show. It'll make you laugh. She now has raised more than $7 million in venture capital, but they did kick off through bootstrapping just in the beginning They uh, were in an accelerator program and we talk about what you learn in those accelerators for those of us who haven't done one. And they've also acquired more than 120,000 customers. And really importantly, I feel like so many DTC businesses are built on Facebook ads or Google ads. They are not doing any ads at the moment. So we kind of talk about how they've been growing organically and some tactics around that. Okay, let's jump in. I hope you enjoy it. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy. Jamie, welcome to Female Founder World. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. For people who don't know Sticks, what are you and your co-founder, Cynthia, building? Yes. So Sticks is a vaginal and reproductive health brand. We we empower confident health decisions at home. Um, And we started just with a pregnancy test in 2019 and since then have expanded to products and sex and health education in the vaginal health space. So we do UTIs, yeast infection products, and we most recently launched our emergency contraception, which is a morning after pill called Restart. So basically all the stuff that if you could avoid going out into the world and buying in the store, you would. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We used to say like one of our first pitches to investors was like the cringeworthy health Mm -hmm. products. Yeah, like think yeast infection treatment, pregnancy tests, emergency contraception, things that we shouldn't have to feel embarrassed to buy, but are just like not set up in a way that gives us the autonomy and privacy that we deserve. Totally. And I was doing some research before the show and like laughing, hearing the story about how the idea came about with your co-founder. Talk me through how that got started. That is just so cool. So my co-founder, Cynthia, and I were co-workers at the time, like about four years ago. And we were good friends at work and in life. Um, And she was buying a pregnancy test in Philadelphia and actually ran into her boyfriend's mom when she was buying the test which was just like, yeah, you can imagine. Um, So she called me about it and we were just like catching up and, you know, kind of like laughing, crying, like, just like, oh my God, how does this happen? Um, And we were talking about pregnancy tests and this was kind of like in the heyday of a lot of direct-to-consumer brands. This was like 2018, 2019, where we, we started thinking about it. And we were like, not in that exact conversation, but that conversation built to us talking about why there isn't a brand that speaks to women like us. In that case, we were, you know, in our mid twenties, we were not trying to get pregnant and all the pregnancy tests had like babies in the commercials. So Mm. we were like, "Hmm, there might be an opportunity here. And one thing led to another and here we are. (laughs) So smart. Okay. And so 
I'm just going to run over a couple of like milestones and things that I think people need to know about. You've you've since then, uh, right? You launched in 2019. We're chatting December 2022 now. You've raised seven million in VC funding. You have a, a like a charity program where you've raised three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a nonprofit for around your morning after campaign. You've got a lot of traction in a really, really short amount of time. And I want to understand, like, how did you guys set yourself up to do that in the beginning? I know that you were pretty bootstrapped for about a year. What did those early days look like and how were you driving traction right at the get-go? Yeah, Cynthia and I um, came from a startup that was entirely bootstrapped and had very limited resources and grew a lot while we were there. So we were kind of like, it was ingrained in us to spend as little money as possible to learn as much as possible. So in the earliest days, like before we even went full time, we did a ton of customer research and we did that ourselves, just like literally sending surveys and doing phone calls. It probably definitely was not statistically significant, but we learned a lot. And just from that kind of cobbled together what you could say was a business plan. Like we finally understood that there was a problem, that there was an opportunity for us to start the business in. And from there, we just like tested everything. So before we bought any inventory or even thought about quitting our jobs or anything, we launched a waitlist page on our Shopify store. So like we just made the Shopify store ourselves. It was like very basic branding, like bare bones. I think we made the first logo on Canva and it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was just all like, it looked like it was made by two 25 year olds, like for a side project, but we learned a lot. And basically we ran some like very inexpensive Facebook ads, testing different like value props for the pregnancy test, you know, like a discreet pregnancy test, an affordable pregnancy test, pregnancy test made by women, like all these things just to understand like what got people excited about the product. And this is before we even had a product and it was just a wait list. So we weren't like taking credit card information or anything. And we told ourselves that once we got, I think like a thousand, some arbitrary number of waitlist signups, we would be more serious about the company. And we did, it kind of like took off, you know, in a small way. I think we maybe got like 500 signups in a couple of weeks. And from that point, we just everything was testing and learning. Like we found our initial supplier just by like Googling and calling different manufacturers. We made the packaging ourselves and then every customer that ordered. And at the time it kind of came from like Facebook ads, the wait list, Instagram. We got on some podcasts, you know, we were just reaching out. Like it was all very organic. We won a, um, and I'm rambling, so I will stop in a second. No, this is super helpful. We won a spot in the skim that was like, they were featuring female founders. And that was like a month maybe after we launched. And we call this now our beta launch. Um, That was maybe a month after our beta and that drove some orders. And then everyone who ordered, we would call. Well, first we'd email and we'd say like, hi, we were the founders of this company. Can we talk with you? You're our first, you know, or second or third customer. And we get on the phone with them and just like chat, understand why they ordered it. And just kind of snowballed. Um, I think what made or what did make the biggest impact for us is we did an accelerator program the summer of 2019 called Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator. 
in New York. Um, and there was a ton of accelerators. We applied to all of them. Like we literally, honestly, it helped a lot just doing the applications. I'd say even mm. if you don't get into an accelerator, just doing the applications, but they really like walk you through what's the market size, like, you know, what's the competitive landscape? Who's your customer? Like they they made us think about these questions that, you know, you kind of need structure to think about. But anyway, we were very fortunate. We got into this accelerator in New York and that just really took the company from like zero to a hundred. You know, they gave us introductions to really amazing mentors. They helped us raise our seed round. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. I have a couple of things that I just wanted to like clarify. You mentioned in the beginning that you were testing different value props through the Facebook ads. I'm guessing that you were just switching up the copy that you were using or the text that you were using in those ads. Kind of one of them mm-hmm. was selling a, like a really affordable option. One of them was selling like a really, you know, private or a discreet option. And you're kind of figuring mm-hmm. out which of those resonated the most based on which ones were getting the most clicks. Yeah. Okay, cool. I want to understand a little bit more about this accelerated program. I think a lot of people, you know, they'd love to do a program like this and maybe they haven't got in, maybe they haven't worked up the courage to actually like put their application in. What did you take away from that experience? Was it, was it the money that was game changing? Was it the people that you met or were there like actual things that you learned to do that you kind of walked away with that have helped the business grow? The money was definitely helpful, but I'd say now that we're, you know, two, three years past that, that's not really what we took away from it. Um, it was really the network. I know everyone says that, you know, mm-hmm. but it's about the people you met on one hand, the people, the, the other founders going through the accelerator. It was so incredible to be in a room together for three months and like be building our businesses, sitting at the same table. I mean, we still talk with them all the time. Cynthia and I are going to our friend's wedding. We met through that program next month. So like they become good friends, but also just having that network and being able to share freelancers and hear about their struggles, fundraising and successes is so invaluable. And then what was special about ERA is the way they structured the program. It was three months, I think. Yeah, like a few months. And the first month was all about product market fit. The second month was all about like, proof of concept, kind of like growth. And then the third month was all about pitching and getting started to fundraise. So it all kind of culminated in their demo day. And that was just such a good experience for us because we really learned how to refine our pitch to investors. They would bring in real investors um, every week to do pitch practice. So we literally sit in front of the room of the cohort and everyone in the accelerator across from an investor, we'd pitch the business and they would grill us. And every week you got to make it better and better and better. And then when it came to actually raising our seed round, we just had the accelerator people who worked for the program kind of like in our corner. And they were able to introduce us to a lot of folks. And even still, like we still will contact them. We, yeah. So it's just a really nice network of people. I'd say also for us, if you've started a company before and you've raised venture capital before, I'd say probably don't do it. But for Mm -hmm. us, like we had no idea what fundraising was. We didn't know what a safe was or convertible note was like, we just had absolutely no idea. So they really like coached us through it. And a safe and a convertible note for people who don't know, they're basically just like two ways, two quite similar ways to fundraise in the early days when you're not kind of raising a whole lot of money. So you don't want to spend heaps of money on like lawyers and back and forth. And it's just like a way that you can kind of get around those. If you Google, there's like so many resources available on them. 
I want to kind of like skip ahead a little bit. I feel like the landscape, like, you know, you said you taught, you were thinking about this, like 2018, launched in 2019. And I think about how businesses were launching then. It was really heavy, like lots of D2C. People were kind of throwing money at ads. And then now when I talk to entrepreneurs, they are way more omni-channel focused. Like they want to be looking at, um, you know, distribution through like retail partners and Facebook ads and, um, you know, like meta ads. I always get that confused. Meta ads now are just like super expensive and it's all just like the landscape has changed. How has that influenced the way that you're going about this? Because I guess like the whole value proposition of what you're offering is like this discretion and this privacy and this, you know, you don't have to physically go into a store to pick up these items. So like, how has that influenced the business and how are you thinking about it? Yeah, that is a great question. From the earliest days, Cynthia and I, and I think this goes to, or lends itself to what we were saying about being bootstrapped and resourceful. We were never very like, all in on Facebook or meta advertising because it's so volatile and I'm reliable. And we did spend, of course, on Facebook ads for a while, but recently we pulled back our meta ad spend to zero. So we're not spending any more on Facebook. Oh, wow. Yeah. To try to like grow more organically and really just, you know, rip off the bandaid. And a lot of other founders we've talked to and, and marketing folks we talked to are in similar shoes right now, which is kind of like jumping in head first. But yeah, from the early days, we've been really focused on content. And for us, that's health and sex education. And we have a blog called Real Talk. And we've been investing in the blog since day one. And, and just in, in the early days, that looked like Cynthia and me writing articles. Now we have freelancers and, you know, a team. But over half of our website traffic actually comes through SEO, through Real Talk, our blog. So that's been one really important way for us to control our our traffic and our growth kind of on our own terms. But it is a really different environment right now. And then with Omnichannel, which is going to be a big focus of ours for 2023, it's interesting. We didn't initially kind of go after your typical D2C into retail path. Like we, you know, we don't have a deal with Target. We're not, you know, in in every Walmart or whatever. But what we have focused on so far, which has been really interesting, is some on-demand retailers. Um, because our product, you know, discretion matters so much and urgency matters so much. We're talking about like a morning after pill, a pregnancy test. So we have a really great partnership with GoPuff. They're like the on-demand. I think they do, their promise is like within 30 minutes or something. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible. And then we're also on Gatier and Dashmart soon. And then we just launched on Amazon. So we're starting to diversify our sales channels, not in the traditional sense, but with some of these kind of like lesser known names. I mean, even though GoPuff is huge now, so not lesser known, but non-traditional, I'll say. Not to say we're not considering some more traditional deals. We're still kind of like working on that. Um, but, you know, the discretion value prop is super important for a large chunk of people, but not everyone cares about discretion. So for those who feel totally fine walking into a CVS, picking up a morning after pill, we want to be there too. Very smart. Are you, I want to talk about this SEO and content piece that you mentioned before a little bit and dig into that. Kind of like in the early days when you were driving, starting to drive traffic to the site through that content SEO, I feel like when people talk about 
content and a blog on the site, like it feels like it's maybe a sl- like a slow burn. I don't know if that's right, but yeah. how much content were you kind of producing and when did you start to see that kind of paying off? Because I imagine in the early days you were just like, you know, creating blog posts that were get, not getting, you know, many views and I'm sure like that's refined over time. Yeah, it is definitely a slow burn and it's like investing for the long game. And even still when we were investing in it, it's like, okay, we can expect to see this pick up in like six months to a year, maybe even plus. And it's interesting, like some of our earliest blog posts that like I wrote in 2019 in a coffee shop are the ones that get the most views because they're indexed so high on Google, just because it takes so long but if you can swing it and and put in the time, it's a really amazing, sustainable way to grow. We were putting out for maybe like two years, three plus blog, blog posts a week. But it wasn't a total like, now we're seeing the rewards of it. But even at the time, we were able to use that content in our lifecycle marketing, our email campaigns, all over social. Every TikTok you see that we put out is more or less like a 30-second version of one of our blog posts. So it started for us as a way to really answer customers' questions about their bodies because we learned early on people were buying and then they were emailing us not with questions about their orders, like, where's my order? But more like, hey, I have a new regular period. Can I use this? Or like, what time of day should I take this? There's this big gap with sex education and health education. So it's like, it's part of our marketing funnel, but it's also part of our product offering as well. Are there any tools that you use for SEO or like, you know, figuring out how did you learn like what search terms to use and how to optimize the content for SEO? Yeah, we use SEMrush. Yep. Um, and did for a long time or have for a long time. Now we have our own, we've like built our own blog or customized our own blog based on the Shopify blog. But for a while we used a Shopify blog app called drop-in blog. And that was great. I mean, it didn't scale for us to the degree we needed, but it, it took us like a year or two and performed really well and was easy to use without a dev team, you know, a good like start startup blog. And we use a lot of just like Google products. So like Google Analytics, I'm blanking on the name, but you know, where where you can enter terms and see Google Trends. Yep. Um, It's literally called Google Trends, I think. Google Trends. When I said it, I was like, (laughs) Google Trends, trends, you know, and we use Google Trends for everything. Like when we're naming a product, our restart emergency contraception, we just changed the name to restart morning after pill because we were like, huh, maybe morning after pill gets more search. And then we looked it up and it was like double. So we were like, oh shoot, we should have done that earlier. So Smart. really use that to check our work like across the board. When I was um, researching for this conversation, I read that subscriptions are like a huge part of your business and that lots of people come to you and they are, you know, they're not just doing one-off purchases. They're, um, they're really subscribing to get these products regularly. Talk to me through what it what it's like and what's involved in building a subscription-based consumer, like physical product business. Like what tools yeah. do you use? How do you like, how do you speak to that customer differently? I'm so curious. Yeah. So we use a Shopify app called Smarter. S-M-A-R-T-R-R. So no E. And that Smarter handles like the back end 
platform side of subscriptions. So we can set up our products in there. And then on the website that allows customers to like check out with a frequency, manage their subscription. We've all probably used something similar as consumers, but it's been interesting. It was kind of this whole other like product market fit exercise for us that we went through this year because we launched subscription and kind of like left it. And we were like, if people subscribe, that's great. Recurring revenue, helping people with convenience, like cool. And then this year we really started to look into it and we asked ourselves like, who are these people? Why are they subscribing? What motivates them to subscribe? What products are they subscribing to? What frequencies? So we kind of like did our uh, this product market fit sprint where we interviewed subscription customers. We did a lot of data analytics and found out that certain products the obvious ones that you would think and they're not so obvious. So like vitamins are great for a subscription, but then also pregnancy tests and ovulation tests people subscribe to whether they're trying to get pregnant or not. It's pretty split for various reasons, but subscription is really fun to work on because it's like this whole customer journey. So you get your post-purchase touch point with them, but then you have like, you know, before their next order ships and in between, and we send them content to make sure, you know, they're using the product to the best that they can and that they're seeing effects, um, that it's helping them. So subscription is very fun. Super interesting. Are you, like when you kind of launched this, were you basically upselling or kind of moving uh, existing customers from who were just, you know, one-off purchasing from the website mm-hmm. into subscription? Was it a totally different customer? Like who were you, who were you speaking mm-hmm. to? It was a totally different customer. So for us, when we started, we just had pregnancy tests and then shortly after ovulation. And for pregnancy tests, it was either people who are trying to get pregnant and maybe struggling with infertility, going through IVF, and then people who are not trying to get pregnant, but maybe had irregular periods or no periods from hormonal birth control Versus the one-time pregnancy test customer might be someone who's about to start trying to get pregnant or wants some peace of mind, wants to stock some pregnancy tests in her dorm room just in case, Mm -hmm. like stuff like that. So it's a totally different use case and it's way more specific. So when we do content around subscription, we kind of know who we're talking to. Like if you subscribe to a vaginal health probiotic, you likely have had chronic vaginal infections and same with the UTI subscription. supplement. Uh, what was your like marketing campaign when you were launching this? A subscription. Yeah. Yeah. We, similar to what we did in the earliest days, we like tested a lot of different value props. So for the product market fit, when we kind of like relaunched subscription this year, we tested a lot of different things like convenience like are people subscribing to this because of convenience or is it because it's you get a discount or for the peace of mind and for us like convenience was super key people liked that you know just as you might imagine if you're subscribing to supplements that you don't have to worry about it um so that was a big part of the messaging um and a lot of education too because a lot of people don't know that there's a probiotic that can help you um, prevent vaginal infections or that, you know, you can even test for ovulation to find out when you're most fertile. When we launched ovulation tests, majority of our customers had never even heard of them, which was really interesting. So lots of education in all of our marketing campaigns. 
Super interesting. And Jamie, the last question that I ask everyone on the show is to share a resource, whether it's a book or a habit that you have, just something that's been helping as you've been building the business. Yeah. I, hmm. okay. We, I'm kind of bouncing between two, but I think what I'll go with is (laughs) about a year ago, Cynthia, my co-founder and I started working with a CEO advisor and that has been just like such a game changer for us. We started out on a contract basis where we spent like a month together, more or less like full time and just having someone who, and, and she was formerly the uh, president at Birchbox mm. and has a, a like a ton of um, retail and consumer experience. So having someone who's done it before work with us in that capacity was like the most helpful thing that we've ever done. We are big proponent, proponents of like asking for help and taking calls with people and having conversations. And of course that's amazing, but having someone like sit with us, look through the financial model, attend our marketing meetings, help us with planning, moved the needle in like such a big way. So I know that's not like a tool per se, but that's my um, most helpful thing. I feel like if you're working with somebody like that, it's obviously super important that you find someone who has the the expertise and like the practical experience themselves so they can give you that advice. Some people have recommended coaches in the past who are more around like communication and leadership. And maybe they haven't been in that position before to give you like the practical advice. How do you find someone who is, you know, a a dedicated like CEO advisor has been in this kind of role before? Does does it come through referrals? How do you find them? Yeah. So in this case, uh, an investor of ours introduced us and that came after we had one quarter where we, we didn't hit our goals. We were not struggling, but we were like, we need help as we all do. And an investor of ours was like, let me reach out to this person. She, you know, Birchbox had just been acquired. She was taking on clients. So that was very lucky. And I think that's probably like going through, like reaching out to other founders, you know, seeing if they've worked with anyone, your investors, word of mouth. Like we have an amazing coach who I can share with you after, if you want to like link the the resource or something like that. And the coach has been amazing, but like you said, like she helps a lot with like leadership and communication and maintaining sanity. And what's so amazing about Ali, our advisor is like, I can go to her with like a very specific business problem and the way she thinks about it just like blows my mind. Like I'm Mm. like, okay, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Incredible. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your advice. It has been awesome getting to know you and Sticks. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Jasmine again. I'm jumping back in to remind you, if you haven't already, drop us a five-star review, take a screenshot and share on Instagram stories. That is honestly how we grow. I don't have any like crazy podcast growth tactics. We really rely on word of mouth and that's how we've been able to get guests like Jamie and so many other incredible founders on the show. So spread the love. I'll appreciate it. And obviously if you tag me at Jasmine Ganswithy and tag us at Female Founder World, we'll repost your content as well. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye.